Turn, please, in the scriptures to the book of Matthew. It's marriage meeting time. (laughs) You know what I'm laughing about? The lack of excitement. (laughs) Can you sense it? (laughs) If Phyllis and I were going by feelings and sight and experience... We'd have changed this meeting a couple of years ago to something else. But we didn't start it because of Felix. Are you with me? Uh, one thing I have learned in doing this for a few years now, this is what? This is uh, 03, 04, this is number 04. And uh, let me encourage you to get the uh, CDs and what have you from the previous years. It would help you. If you're serious about this, take advantage of those. You can download them for free. Uh, One thing I'm saying I have learned on this is how people in the body do not see the value of investing into their marriages. It's just uh, something that, uh, you know, needs to be some revelation on. Now, you do, obviously. You're here. Amen. But... uh, Folks just don't see. I've talked to people before that I know and friends and ministers and we'd talk about it and they're like, you know, it's, no, no, there's other things that I need to focus on, what have you. Friends, there are a few things more important in the church, in the nation, in the world than marriages. It's the foundation. God created man and he said it's not good for the man to be alone. And he created the woman. And there was marriage. There was union. It was something he established before uh, children and the rest of the family, before church, before anything. It's that kind of primary thing and priority and foundational thing. And how many understand, I don't care what you're talking about, a business, you're talking about a church, whatever you're talking about. You can't just expect it to thrive and never invest anything into it. You must make investments into, you must sow and make investments into things. And of course, to have victory in any area, you got to have faith. And how does faith come? Well, faith for your marriage doesn't come by hearing about water baptism. Or even healing. If you're going to have faith for your marriage, what do you need to hear? You need to hear the word on the subject. Of marriage, and that's how faith will come into you. So let me commend you for being here. Amen. Amen. And let's believe God for the rest of the body. Not just here, but worldwide. To get a greater revelation of this. And begin to put the kind of, uh, make the investment of time and effort into their marriage and families that they should. Uh, Matthew. Is that what I said? Good. Did I tell you the chapter? Did you pick it up by the Spirit? or <laughs> 19. 19. Matthew 19. Are you there? Yes. Matthew 19. Jesus is talking about marriage. And let's believe God to see revelation from it. Matthew 19. Verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him, 
tempting him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, I would say divorce, for every cause? Now, uh, what does it mean, every cause? Any reason. For any reason. And they're talking about just because you get up one morning and you don't like the way she looks today. (laughs) And you're not happy about breakfast. And so you just say, that's it. We're divorcing. Now we laugh, but why are they asking this? Because it was happening. It was happening that people were divorcing over anything and everything is that happening today that people are divorcing they just you know get up on the wrong side of the bed one morning and just go hey that's it I'm you know I don't love you anymore and they say well fine I don't love you anymore either or even if they do the other party has said no it's over the relationship is dead and we can't do anything about it people talk about The relationship in the third person as though it's a separate entity from themselves, don't they? The relationship is beyond help. Our relationship has died and nothing that anybody can do. That's like unsaved people talk, like people in the dark, not us. They said, is it lawful, is it okay, is it in line with the word for a man to put away his wife for every cause? In other words, just because he decides to, for any reason, every reason. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? There's a whole message right there now, isn't it? Huh? Everybody say male Male. and female. female. Say it again. Male Male and female. One more time. Male Male and female. Now I know a lot of people think they have developed beyond this. And they know better. But they're wrong. I said they're wrong. And he said for this cause... Shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain, they two, shall be one flesh. This is a description of marriage, isn't it? Marriage is one flesh. Doesn't mean that you merge into one body. Doesn't mean that you lose your individuality. But there is a union. And there is a oneness that you are supposed to have and can have. If you hadn't had it, you can get it. If you had it and lost it, you can get it back. If you had it and kept it, you can increase it. (laughs) Can you say amen? Amen. (laughs) Everybody say leave Leave. and cleave. cleave. Don't live with mom and daddy. Don't live with their mom and daddy. Hmm? Or the front yard. 
Pastor said, well, we've prayed about it and we think it's okay. Well, you're wrong. Everybody say leave. Leave and you you need to build a life of your own. Have a family of your own, house of your own. You need your own washing machine. And your own dryer. Now personally, I have come to believe in his and her bathrooms. His and her closets. His and her cars. I just believe it's a blessing to your marriage. (laughs) Now we're laughing, but let me encourage you along that line. Because uh, there's a thing called over-familiarity. And people, uh, husbands and wives, sometimes they stay in each other's face too much. And it causes unnecessary problems. We are to be one. But we are individuals as well. And we have an individual relationship with the Lord. And you need to be quiet. You need to be able to be alone with the Lord sometime. Are you with me now? And uh, you don't need to see each other at your worst. But we're already off to a blazing start here, aren't we? (laughs) You don't need to see, your spouse does not need to see you at your worst unnecessarily. You know, there are times that you uh, just have to do things and you may not look your best or be at your best. But uh, don't do that if you don't have to. Hmm? People just get too uh, common with each other. And uh, they just don't allow each other any privacy. And that contributes to this over-familiarity and a lack of respect for each other. And a lack of uh, appreciation. You know. The, the proverb talks about if your foot's often in your neighbor's house, he'll come to despise you. You know, I like a good T-bone steak. I, I like a good lobster. But you know, you eat lobster every day. Lobster three and four times a day. I don't care if it's the finest in the world. After a while, you're going, man, I'm tired of lobster. And uh, if we would be led by the Spirit, we'd give each other some space and some room. And we would, you know, take care of ourselves and not just be sloppy and and slouchy for no reason. Hmm? Now, you can do what you want to with this, but it'll help you. I said it'll help you. Endeavor to be at your best. A lot of times people say, well, now, I, you know, I like to when I come home that I can just be myself and I can let my hair down. Well, who are you being at the other places? <laughs> when people say that, well, I just I want to be myself and just relax and just let my hair down. A lot of times what that means is fleshing out, yeah. just yielding to the flesh and being selfish. And that's not okay at home or any other place. We're to have dignity 
at home. We're to treat each other with dignity and appropriately at home. Oh, you don't have to be stuffy and uncomfortable, but you don't have to be sloppy and just fleshy to the point of uh, people being tired of seeing you and being around you. There's some wisdom. There's some grace. Prosperity helps. I said prosperity helps. Another reason to believe to prosper. He said, for this cause, a man will leave father and mother. Is that in the Bible? Should you do it? Yeah. And cleave to his wife. And they too will be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two, but one flesh. Who said this? Is it important? What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Now hear this language. What God has what? Joined together. Join means to fasten together, to yoke together, to unite. It is a, when, for instance, two oxen were yoked together, I mean, they are, there's a physical apparatus that binds them to each other. One cannot go left and the other go right. They are bound. Now, I know we don't like that word too much. Bound. But some things need to be bound. Need to be bound together. And husbands and wives are one of them. He goes on to say, They said to him, Why then did Moses give a command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you, allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. See, these guys are not born again. They're not filled with the Spirit. He's given them law. They're not, the main thing governing them is not the commandment of love. You couldn't tell them just be led by the Spirit. And so they are allowed divorce. He said, but from the beginning it wasn't that way. Was divorce in God's mind when he created Adam and Eve? No. Is it part of his plan for us? No, it's not. And so he goes on to say, I say to you, whoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. And whoso marries her which is put away, does commit adultery. His disciples say to him, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it's not good to marry See, they're getting the revelation that he's saying, y'all are stuck together. You can't just get a piece of paper and get out of it and it's okay. And they're going, wow, you mean we're committed to stay together? Then I don't know if I want to get married. He said to them, all men cannot receive this saying, save they to whom it is given. And, you know, he goes on to talk about people that have... uh, Refrain from marriage, 
committing themselves to other things. But he, Jesus himself, made the statement that not everybody that's appropriate for. I think there are some people trying to be single that would be better off getting married. And there are particularly some people trying to, uh, in the ministry, along that line. You know, there are people that have committed themselves to celibacy, and the Lord never told them to. And some people think in order to be holy, you'd have to be single. Well, what about Peter? Hmm? What about the other apostles? Well, they were married. God has a place for married people and single people. And you have to ascertain for yourself where your place is at. But don't leave the impression that if you were really spiritual, you'd be single. Because that's not true. I said that's not true. It has not only impression been left, it's been stated. It's been asserted. It's been required in different groups and different peoples. That if you're really going to be spiritual, you have to be celibate. This is not true. Jesus didn't teach it. The New Testament doesn't teach it. Uh, What did Hebrews say? That marriage and the marriage bed is honorable. It's holy. It's undefiled when it's right. Nothing to be ashamed of. You do not have to be second rate spiritually because you're married and because you got a family. Is everybody with me on that now? You do not have to be one whit. Less spiritual than a single celibate person because you're married. In fact, did you know that the qualifications for pastors is what? Husband of one wife, having your children under control in good shape. Why? Because if you don't know how to take care of your house and family, how can you take care of the house and family of God? Because the church is a family. So the ideal situation for a pastor is a married man, right? Marriage and family. Now, I know that there are some single ladies pastoring, and I'm not saying that's wrong, and there's some single men pastoring. I'm not saying that's wrong, but how many would agree that a single mom or single dad, even though they can have a good family, it's not the ideal situation, right? God has to make up the difference. And then he is doing it. But he's given us the ideal. Now, uh, back up with me to verse 6. He said, what God has joined together. Let not man put asunder. Everybody say that out loud. What God has joined together. Let not man... That means separate. Don't let man separate it or divide what God has joined together. Go to 1 Corinthians, please. The 7th chapter. 1 Corinthians 7. We see it reiterated and expanded. 1 Corinthians 7 and 7. He said, I would that all men were even as myself... But every man has his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. If you're really graced to be single and not be married, then you'll have grace to not feel the need. 
But he said not everybody, you know, Jesus said not everybody is. That's obvious. Paul says the same thing. He said, uh, verse 9, if they can't contain, let them marry. It's better to marry than to burn. Now, some people have tried to make that burn in hell, but that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about hell. He's talking about burn with desire. Burn with desire. It's better to be married. Be fulfilled. Than to go around burning with desire all the time. Now let me just give you a word of advice. Desire is like anything else. The more you feed it, the stronger it becomes. And single are married. You're single. You don't need to watch a bunch of uh, movies and read a bunch of books and think about things that's going to stir up your desire for a spouse and you're not married. And married people, you don't need to look at things and hear things and read things that's going to stir up your desire for somebody else other than your spouse. And this is easy to say and doesn't take long to say it. But how many understand there's stuff all over the place? Like that. And if we're wise, we'll make it easy on ourselves. And not feed wrong desires. Well, there's a whole lot to say there. But anyway, he went on to say, verse 10, and unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. This is strong language, isn't it? He said, I command this. Because part of the things he said in this chapter, he said, I don't have a commandment of the Lord, but I have the Spirit, and this is my judgment for this for right now. But here, he steps way up beyond that kind of phraseology. He says, I'm commanding this, and this is not me. This is the Lord. What's the commandment? Let not the wife depart from her husband. It's a commandment. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. You don't hear much about that, do you? Or be reconciled to her husband. And, this is still part of the commandment, let not the husband put away his wife. This is clear. And it's very strong. When it comes to husbands and wives, what about the wife leaving her husband? What did it say? Hmm? What about the husband putting away his wife? We are commanded by the Lord not to do that. The church has not taken this commandment seriously. Have they? No. Now, right now, if you have had situations in the past where you left people or they left you and and you're no longer with them, and you're remarried, and what have you. We're not talking about the past. We're not looking at the past, whether you made mistakes. If you've repented, it's under the blood. If you haven't, you ought to repent right now. Get it under the blood. Don't look back. Don't go back. But let's go forward. But now let's do it right. Hmm? Let's do it right. What's doing it right? Doing it right is understanding that there's not supposed to be divorce. Right? There's not supposed to be a separate. What God has joined together. Don't let any man or woman sever it. 
and separate him. Now in talking about this and looking at it, the Lord has impressed a word upon me. And I want to give it to you. And this word is covenant. Covenant. This is a word that our modern society and generation knows little about. And it's a word that is huge to God. Huge. Huge. To God, covenant is so big and so much. The word testament is a word for covenant. And what is the Bible? Old Testament. Now we've used these words so much until they just have a religious meaning. It's covenant. Old covenant and what? New covenant. And our salvation is by the covenant in his blood. That's what Jesus did when he came. When covenant was cut, which that's one of the words for covenant is cut. When covenant was cut, blood was shed. Life was given. The life is in the blood. And God made covenant with Abraham. Hallelujah. And he talks about that covenant with Abraham all through the Bible, through the whole thing, through the prophets, through the New Testament. Still talking about it today. Everybody say covenant. God made a covenant with Noah. And you see it keep being referred to. And the greatest is the covenant with Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. And you and I get the benefits of it because we're in him. And the Bible tells us this covenant is unbreakable. It cannot be broken. It is an everlasting covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we got to get our minds renewed to think covenant thoughts and talk covenant talk. Elsewise, we won't be on the same page with God. And when the Lord thinks marriage, he thinks covenant. Covenant. Now, it's been watered down. It's been diluted. It's been uh, legislated. It's been everything else. Until it doesn't resemble what God intended for it to be. And even today, you know, we don't even use that word covenant as much and remotely like they used to. We talk about contracts. Contracts. And have you noticed how contracts have grown? I've done business with some things a few years ago and it was three pages. And did business again recently last year, and it was 20 pages. Same thing. Same thing. Why? Why do the contracts just keep getting thicker and bigger and thicker? Why? Because people are getting out of them. And next time somebody gets out of them, the lawyers sit down and try to figure out how to keep them from getting out of it. And so we've got to add four more clauses. And all the requisite legalese. 
But I want you to understand, you can't make a contract big enough to cover all the scenarios. If somebody wants to get out and they got enough money and they got enough lawyers, they'll write some clauses too. And the problem is, where's the honor? Where's the integrity? Where's the value of the word? And what, when we say all that, what are we talking about? There was supposed to be, when you looked a man in the eye, when you shook his hand, when you said, I'll do it. Agreed. We have a deal. It was supposed to be binding. Oh, did you hear this word? Binding. What does that mean? Let me give you another. One of the main words for covenant is fetter. F-E-T-T-E-R. Fetter. One definition of it is chain. Chain. To be cha- to be fettered means to be chained. Now, our religious mind doesn't like to hear that word because we like to sing no more bondage. <laughs> no more chains. But some things need to be chained. They need to be bound. They need to be locked down. They need to be tied together so that they are not coming apart. That's covenant thinking. That's covenant language. Everybody say covenant. Say it again. Say it again. Covenant. When you're in covenant, there's not supposed to be any getting out. Hallelujah. I said, when you're in covenant, there's not supposed to be any getting out. Why? You're fettered. You're bound. Somebody say bound. Now, that's not just my word. You're right here in 1 Corinthians 7. Look at verse 27. 1 Corinthians 7. 27. What does it say? First <laughs> uh, Corinthians seven twenty seven says, "Are you bound? Bound? Have you heard people talking about? I just don't want to feel tied down. I've got to be a free spirit. I mean, most of the popular songs of the sixties and seventies that was their theme." Sorry, baby, it's been fun, but I got to fly. I got to be free. I got to be a free man. Got to be a free woman. Got to be free. And the lyrics have changed a little bit and the look, but it's the same message. In the 80s and in the 90s and now in the 2000s, it's the same message. I got to have my freedom. Don't bind me. Don't tie me down. What do you mean? A nine to five? Come home every night to the same person? I got to be free. And the world has held up this lone wolf, free person as the ideal. Anybody ever done the lone wolf deal? 
It ain't what it's cracked up to be. It's a lie. It's a deception. I can go anywhere I want to. Do anything I want to. With anybody I want to. Anytime I want to. What you just got through saying is you got nobody. You don't have family. You don't have anybody that's going to stick by you. Help you. You better hope you don't have serious problems. Because there's nobody to help you. What do you got to look forward to? Being alone. Lonely. Listen. Being bound to a wife. Being bound, tied, joined, fettered to a husband is a safe thing. It's a secure thing. Oh, come on now. It provides the security for the family, for the children. Gives them a safe, secure place to grow up. Right? Because they don't have to wonder every other day, is mama going to come home? Is daddy going to come home? No, daddy's going to come home. Even if he don't want to, he's going to come home because he's bound. Mama's going to come home. Even if she don't want to, she's going to come home. Why? Because she is bound because she entered into a covenant with this man. He entered into a covenant with this woman and they did it before Almighty God. He is the other party in the covenant. Can you say amen? amen? This is not taught in our schools, in our universities. This is not seen in the movies and popular entertainment. And sadly, it's not taught enough in the church. We got to get this. Parents, teach your children. Right? Teach your children about marriage. What is marriage? See, that's what the enemy has been far too successful. And people just, you know, their hormones rage. And a young man sees a young woman, teenager, boy sees a girl, and they're inflamed with passion. And they call it love. And it's infatuation and physical desire. And they call it love. And uh, they think, well, what is marriage? It's a piece of paper. It's this institution of man. What does it mean? This establishment. And, you know, we're still suffering today from the rebellion of the 60s. Did you know that? We lost some things. We have not regained. People called it establishments of men and they threw away some of the precious things of God. What does it matter? We're married in the eyes of the Lord. Said who? When? Just because you join with somebody physically does not mean you're married in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible talks about being one flesh with a harlot. No. A man, a woman, supposed to get to know each other over a period of time. They're supposed to consider this thing seriously. Both parties are supposed to look at their families. And at the right time and by the direction of the Lord and with the blessing of their families, they're supposed to come and stand before their ministers and before God. 
Are you listening now? And they're supposed to enter into a lifelong covenant before their families and before their Lord. And they're supposed to have tokens of the covenant like rings and other things, signs of the covenant. And this, how many understand, so all, all the problems with abortion, unwanted children, why is there such a huge, huge, huge problem with this? Because there was no commitment before the sex. There was no covenant. There was just sex. And God knew how things had to be for the children to be able to come in to a safe, secure environment where somebody was committed to each other and them and they'd be loved and they'd be taught and they'd be brought up in the nurtured admonition of the Lord. So there's living like animals and jumping in bed with any and everybody. No commitment is ungodly. Not of God. And it hurts people. And it hurts innocent children. Millions are dying before they ever have a chance to live because of this. And people think they have the answers and they think they know better. And they're miserable and they're in terrible shape. But they don't want to hear this. But we do. I said we do. We're going to teach our children and our grandchildren. It's not okay. To have sex with somebody. It's not your spouse. It's not okay to experiment. It's not okay. There's supposed to be commitment. There's supposed to be covenant. Right? And you don't just do it off the top of your head. You don't do it because you think somebody's good looking. I mean, this is lifelong covenant. This is before God. You got to look at it. You got to pray about it. You got to get to know them the best you know how. Because you know there's all kind of things you can't know about the future. You got to hear from God. Amen. This is generations of life being affected. Whole courses of future being determined. Somebody say Covenant. Covenant. One of the biggest lies that the enemy has sold our modern generations, I'm talking about, you know, 50s, 60s, up till now, is that sex is love. Sex isn't love. Say that out loud. Sex is not love. Well, if you love me, you'll have sex. That's when you run. This is not a person you can enter into covenant with. Sex is not love. What is love? Anybody know? God is love. God is love. Sex is not enough to make a marriage work and keep it together year after year. I don't care how good looking he is. I don't care how amazing of a body she has. Sex is not enough. Not enough to keep a man and woman together. Hmm? Now in God you, you should be able to enjoy some good sex. But, husband and wife. But sex is not love. 
And sex is not enough. Sex has been, you know, I know people sometimes think it's funny to say the word, but sex has been, it has been proclaimed. It has been movies made and books and talk shows until we have been inundated. Sex, 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 sex. And it is held up as the be all and do all. Oh man, that's like the greatest experience in life. It is not. Well, you just don't know. No, I might know more than you think. But what you may not know about is experience in God. Sex is not the ultimate experience in life by far. And it takes a lot more than that to keep a family together. And there are people throwing their families away right and left, tearing their families apart over sex. And the one big reason is because they do not understand covenant. Somebody say covenant. Bound. When you hear covenant, you think chains, fetters, <laughs> tied, locked. And that's a good thing. When you talk about marriage, that's a good thing. It keeps everybody safe. Go to Malachi, please. Thank you, Lord, for helping us with this. Covenant. I'm excited about this. I saw some things today I hadn't seen as clearly. I want to get to them with you. Do you know how ignorant the world is of this subject? The church. Well, if the Lord leads me and directs me, I'd be good to camp on this subject for a few months. Learn about covenant. Just in refreshing myself the last couple of days, I, God is big on covenant. I'm telling you, big, big. How else can I say it? Malachi 2. Last book in the Old Covenant. Malachi 2, let me just uh, start off at the beginning, then I'll skip forward some. He's upset with his priests, the Lord is here. And he says, why? He says, you priest, this commandment is for you. If you'll not hear it, and if you won't lay it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I'm going to send a curse upon you and curse your blessings. I've cursed them already because you don't lay it to heart. And this is serious, isn't it? Why? Verse 5. Well, verse 4, excuse me. You'll know that I have sent this commandment to you that my covenant might be with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace. Now, let's just stop right here. These ministers are out of line hundreds and hundreds of years after he made a covenant with Levi. And what is he wanting to talk to them about? That covenant that he made back that started the priesthood. Let's think how God thinks. God does not make covenant lightly. He is eternal. And when he makes a commitment, he cannot lie. And he cannot change. 
And so he is, when he enters into covenant with somebody, he's bound with them. And so he entered into a covenant with Levi. He said, verse 5, my covenant was with him of life and peace. And I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The great respect and honor that Levi had. That's why God picked him out from among other people. And the law of truth was in his mouth. And iniquity was not found in his lips. And he walked with me in peace and equity. And he did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. And they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you're departed out of the way. And you've caused many to stumble at the law. You've corrupted the covenant. The covenant of Levi says the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I made you also contemptible and base before all the people. Did you know that the respect in which the ministry is held comes back to how the ministry observes covenant? He went on to say, verse 10, Have we not all one Father, and has not one God created us? Why do you deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Now this is a strong word, and it's used more than once in talking about people who break covenant. The word treachery. Treachery. He said, you have dealt treacherously by profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously. And an abomination is committed in Israel and in Judah. For Judah has profaned the holiness of the Lord which he loved. And has married. Has what? Married. married the daughter of a strange God. You'll find here in, in several other places. The word marriage and covenant are used interchangeably in talking about situations. Said out loud, marriage, marriage. Is, a is a covenant. He went on to say, the Lord will cut off the man that does this, the master, the scholar out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offers an offering unto the Lord of hosts. And this have you done again, covering the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping, and with crying out, insomuch that he regards not the offering any more, or receives it with good will at your hand. And yet you say, wherefore? You say, why? Why won't the Lord receive my offering? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, and yet is she your companion, and she is the wife of your covenant. He said, what you have done with me in ministry, you've done in your own marriages. See, the spiritual works out in every area of life. If you're not a covenant keeper in one area, you won't be a covenant keeper in other areas. And the way you're dealing with people is a reflection of what you're doing with God. It's just a fact. He said, you have dealt treacherously. And yet, is she your companion and the wife of your covenant? Covenant. Is marriage a covenant? You couldn't see it any plainer than right here. Wife. He didn't say wife of your wedding vows. He said wife of your covenant. 
And what are the vows and the statements about? It's entering into covenant. And did not he make one, the two one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit. And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. No, everybody's not supposed to be single in order to be spiritual. God wants some babies. He wants some young'uns. He wants some godly people that rear up those children in a godly fashion. And he wants a bunch of them. But in order for these children to grow up properly and be who the fullness of who they're supposed to be, they got to have the right environment. It's got to be stable. That family needs to stay together, doesn't it? What's going to keep it together? It's going to take more than sex. It's going to take more than what makes me feel good. It's going to take more than what I enjoy or what you enjoy. What would be strong enough to get us through some tough stuff, some terrible feelings, some challenging times? Is there something strong enough? Is there something strong enough? It is the covenant that you made before the Almighty. That covenant will get you through when other people come apart. Somebody say covenant. He said, therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal, what? Treacherously against the wife of his youth. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says that he hates putting away. We'd say today, divorce. God hates divorce. Now, that's a strong word. Maybe y'all were expecting something else tonight. But this is the Bible. Does God hate divorce? Now, if you have been divorced in the past, we've already talked about this. Hmm? You repented. God's forgiven you. It's under the blood. Don't look back. Don't think back. But if you're married again now, divorce should not be an option to you. It's not something you discuss. Not something you talk about. I mean, it's not something you should even mention between you and your spouse. People throw this thing around. Well, what are you saying? What are you saying? You saying maybe we should get a divorce? That should never even come out of your mouth. Are you with me now? That should never come out of your... See, people get to fussing. And they get to fighting. And they go, well, what do you think? Are we just going to have to separate? What do you think? We're going to have to, are, we, are you saying divorce? What are you saying? Well, what are you saying? Well, I didn't say that. Well, what did you say? That should not come up. It shouldn't come out of your mouth. Don't care how much you're hurting. Don't care how mad you are. Don't care how upset you are. That's not something you say. You don't say it. You don't talk it. There's a lot of people, bless their hearts. I mean, every other week, they're threatening divorce. Stop it. Stop that. If you are, that means every other week, you're that close to treachery. No. We don't talk divorce. Let not the wife depart. 
Yeah, but what about, well, just read the scripture. Just stay with the scripture. He didn't put a parenthesis with 40 exceptions after that verse. Let not the wife depart. So what? Wives, don't run. Don't go. Same thing with the husbands. We're fettered. And we're happy about it. (laughs) We're chained. (laughs) And we're glad. Because it makes us secure. I am so glad. I am so glad. That every other day when I come home, I don't have to wonder, is Phyllis home? Did she come back? (laughs) She may, you know, maybe this is it. Maybe she's gone this time for good. Thank God. With all the other stuff we're dealing with, we don't have to think about that. You shouldn't have to think about it. And when you grow up, you won't be like that. Amen, it's just the truth. Did you hear the word of the Lord? No more threatening divorce and separation. Stop that. Everything, time something don't go your way, you're hollering, well, what are you saying? That is so petty and infantile. Stop that. No. We're bound. You're the wife of my covenant. You can say to your husband, he's the husband of my covenant. We're in covenant. And when this covenant is before the Lord. Listen to the Amplified on this. He said, uh, you ask, why does the Lord reject your offering? Why does he reject it? Because the Lord was witness to the covenant made at your marriage. How many remember the traditional wedding ceremony, how it starts? Dearly beloved. We're gathered here today. What? Huh? The presence of God. See, we've said that so much, it don't mean a thing to us. God said, I was there. That's what he said. He said, I was there. I witnessed your covenant. I heard you say to them that you would stand by them and you'd commit to them and you wouldn't leave them and you wouldn't forsake them. I heard you say it. He said, I'm a witness to it. You said it to them, and you said it to me, and you said it in front of me. How many can see why we're supposed, there's supposed to be marriage? Instead of just shacking up and parking and everything else. I mean, see, this is, what a holy thing. This man and this woman standing up before the Lord, before their families, before their friends, entering into covenant. Glory to God. Now, if you didn't do it that way and you didn't do it right, that's okay. You know now. I said, you know now. It ain't the paperwork. It ain't the ceremony. It's the covenant. I said, it's the covenant. Thanks be unto God. Now, what was, let me finish reading that and then I'll go back. I want to make a comment about Matthew 7. So y'all remember where I was at. He said, why does he reject that offering? Because the Lord was witness. Now, let's just think about this. Your offerings are not getting received. wonder if that would affect your finances. How many remember 1 Peter 3 talked about, you know, husbands treating their wives a certain way, wives treating their husbands a certain way, so that your prayers be not hindered. 
Is covenant important to God? Oh man, if you break covenant, you disqualify yourself from the benefits of the covenant. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. If you back up to Deuteronomy 26 and 7, you see he told them to stand on the mount's representations and proclaim the terms of the covenant. And then in Deuteronomy 28, he said, if you keep my commandments, in other words, you keep your part of the covenant, this is what I'm committing to you to do. It's all covenant. Deuteronomy 28 is covenant. Covenant. But how many know after about half the chapter, then verse 15, if you don't do your part? Huh? If you break covenant with me, you worship other gods. You ignore my commandments. You break the covenant. Then is God obligated to bless you the same? No. In other words, the deal is off. The protection. The blessing. Etc. Etc. Serious business. Now there's a good point after that. I'm going to get to it in just a minute. But, but how many think it's smart to keep the covenant? Don't break the covenant. Well, he said... The Lord was witness to the covenant made at your marriage between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously and to whom you were faithless. Yet she is your companion and the wife of your covenant made by your marriage vows. For the Lord, the God of Israel says in verse 16, I hate divorce and marital separation and him who covers his garment with violence. So keep a watch on your spirit that you deal not treacherously and faithlessly with your marriage mate. Somebody say, I won't. I won't. I'm a covenant keeper, not a covenant breaker. Now in Matthew 7, go back there if you would, just a few pages over. Let's look at this again, and I believe there's more light here, having seen that. When he said to them in Matthew 7, they said, is it okay, basically, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? Because apparently there had been some debate about, well, is that a good enough reason or is that not a good enough reason? I don't know. Any reason. They had decided any reason was okay. And Jesus said, it's Matthew 19, right? Yeah. Excuse me. 19. And seven, he said seven and eight because of the hardness of your heart. Verse nine, whoever shall put away his wife except it be for fornication. Can you see that would be breaking the covenant? And shall marry another commits adultery. And whoso marries her which is put away commits adultery. There's been all kind of conjecture about this. But what this is saying among other things is that a piece of paper does not make it right. You tell, a man comes in, it could happen the other way around, but a man comes in and he tells his wife, I'm sorry, I don't love you anymore, and I fell in love with this other woman, and I'm leaving you, and I'm marrying her. But I'm going to do it right. I hadn't been with her before now, but I'm leaving you. So he divorces her, and legally he's got the paperwork, and they're divorced, and now he goes and marries her. Does it make it okay because he went through the paperwork? No. No. He still committed adultery against her because they were in covenant. 
Are you with me now? They were in covenant. And going through the legal part of it and going through the paperwork does not mean that it's okay to break covenant. Now again, we're not talking about the past. Right? Past is under the blood. A lot of people did a lot of ignorant things. We're talking about now. Now. Now we know. Now we know better. We're saved people. Righteous people. And righteous people are not covenant breakers. Are they? Uh, go with me please to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. I know some of this is a little sobering tonight, but there's too much looseness in our society. And it's gotten into the church, hasn't it? I'm telling you ministers, ministers are just marrying and divorcing and marrying and divorcing for any reason. And you know why it's so quiet? Because it's too close to home. But again, let me say it one more time. The past is the past. We're not talking about the past. He says, well, if I was in covenant with my husband and now I'm remarried, where does that put me? Well, there's another covenant. Supposed to be. How many remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well who had been married how many times? And uh, in talking to her, by revelation, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And she said, Lord, I don't have a husband. And he looked at her and he said, well, that's accurate. You don't have a, now did you hear that? Did you get that? No, go to John. Go to John 4. Thank you, Master. You know, we need all kinds of moving of the Spirit. Not all services are run the aisle. Not all services are jump and shout. Some services are sobering. And some things, God does deep works in you. He does things deep down inside you. And some things are not even fun. But it makes you a pillar. It anchors your soul. And you cease being moved around by worldly thinking. The world is clueless about marriage and family. They are so confused. They are so messed up. And it just gets worse by the week. You and I have to be those that hold up the standard. We, you know, it's not popular. It's not politically correct, as they say. But we got to hold up the standard and say, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. Not nine other ways, this way. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is what God has said. In John 4, verse 16, Jesus said, go call your husband. Your what? Your husband and come here. And the woman said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, well, that's not true, because the first man you married will always be your only true husband. 
Why did I say that? Some people teach that. What did he say? You have well said, I have no husband. He said, that's right. You don't have a husband. That's accurate. She's been married five times. And Jesus, who ought to know, the head of the church, says she don't have one husband. And she has had five. Now look at it. Verse 18, who's talking? Tell me who's talking. Jesus. For you have had one husband and lived in adultery four times after that. Whole groups teach that though. They're not in agreement with Jesus. Jesus said you have had five husbands. He acknowledged that she, each one of those men were her husband at that time in her life. He acknowledged it. And he didn't give any precedence of the first one over the following four. And he went on to say what? And he whom you now have is not your husband just because you live with somebody. Doesn't make them or have an affair with somebody. Doesn't mean you're married in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. I mean, understand that this just blows a bunch of sure wrong doctrines right out of the water. Yeah. Just this couple of statements that Jesus made. Amen. No. No. The past is the past. It's under the blood. No. Covenants have been broken. There have been other covenants. Don't listen to other people that contradict Jesus. Covenants can be broken. We see him say that, you know. Divorce uh, your spouse, he said, except for the cause of uh, fornication. He talked about adultery. But that doesn't necessitate that you should divorce. It doesn't mean you have to divorce somebody because they were unfaithful. He's saying there's supposed to be substantial cause of the other person breaking the covenant. You don't just get it one morning, look at them and say, let's divorce. Go back to Exodus 32. Covenants. Exodus 32. Moses up on the mount getting the commandments which are in stone, representing the covenant. And the people made them golden calf, worshipped it, and broke the covenant. That's why he dropped those tablets, and the tablets broke, signifying covenant had been broken. Did they break the covenant? And one of the first things he told them, you don't make any Graven images, you don't worship them. One of the first things he told them. And they violated, they broke the covenant. And verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now let me alone. That my wrath may wax hot against them. And that I may consume them. 
Did you know that the Lord calls himself, this is so big, I can't cover it all tonight. But the Lord calls himself their husband. And he gives a whole analogy in Jeremiah and Ezekiel about them being his wife and the time of love and entering into covenant. I mean, marriage, how many understand in the New Testament, the husband and wife, the marriage is a type of Christ and the church. Covenant. Well, has the Lord ever had trouble with his wife? Have they, I know this, you have to kind of adjust your mind a little bit, but you think about a husband and a wife that are having trouble, and I mean serious trouble. Has that ever happened to the Lord and his wife? Yeah. (laughs) Is the Lord upset? Oh. His wife that he just entered into covenant with recently. Has committed adultery against him. I mean the honeymoon ain't over. This is really during the honeymoon. And his wife has stood up and said. When they heard the audible voice of the Lord. Speaking out of the fire. They said oh. Oh he's God. Yes he's God. Whatever he says we'll do it. And Moses led the people. They entered into a covenant. Everlasting covenant with the Lord. That he and he alone is our God. Our only God. Him only do we worship. And it ain't two months. And they're bowing and dancing naked and drinking and partying in front of a calf. God is hot. He's mad. He's upset. He's hurt. He is so mad. At this moment, he does not want to go on with them. Are y'all listening with your heart now? At this moment, he does not want to deal with them another day. He tells Moses, get out of my way. I'm done with him. Leave me alone. What does that mean? (laughs) Is there marriage trouble at God's house? See, that sounds strange, doesn't it? God's not at fault. No. But is there trouble? Oh. What does he mean? Let me alone. Don't intercede. Don't try to stand in the gap for them. What's he saying? It's over. That's it. It's over. Now this is God talking. Some of you with me, some of you not. This is God. The Lord said in 1 Corinthians 7, talking about people getting married, he said, you know, if you're single, you can give yourself continually and exclusively to the Lord and you're not dealing with other things in the world. But if you've got a husband, you're concerned with the things of the world, how you may please your wife or how you may please your husband. And he said, such shall have trouble in the flesh. Married people, such shall have trouble in the flesh. That's a scripture. 
You got two people who control their flesh and walk in love. You got very little trouble. And you got a lot of good times. You got two people who don't control their flesh at all. You're going to have lots of trouble. If even one person will start putting their flesh under and start doing what they're just one party, just one, things will begin to get better immediately. It's just one. It won't fix everything, but it'll improve it immediately. Oh, but if you got two people, two people that'll walk in love and put their flesh under. Well, God does not have a problem being out of control. It's not his fault. Oh, but his bride. Oh, his bride. But he loves us. Anyway. Hold your place right here and go to Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3, and then we're going to Exodus 32 to finish up after that, I think. But uh, Jeremiah 3, man, this is so wonderful. He said, they say, if a man put away his wife, divorce her, and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return to her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot. Who's he talking to? His wife Israel at that point. You have played the harlot with many lovers. Have they broken covenant? It's hard for us to realize the seriousness of this. These guys, you know, well, I'll just say it. They worshiped everything under the sun, including the sun, except God. They took the babies God gave them and offered them on altars and burned them alive. To these devils. They got into ritualistic sex worship. With the gods and goddesses of all these nations. And that's what he said. He said you have slept with everybody in town. What's the next phrase though? What's the next phrase? Read it to me. Read it to me. What? What? What's that? Yet I'm saying, come back. I want you back. (laughs) Glory to God. I want you back. Hallelujah. Even though you break covenant with God... He is not a covenant breaker. Thank you, Master. He said, uh, verse 6, The Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She, she, notice how he talks, She is gone up on every high mountain under every green tree, and she's played the harlot. And I said, after she did all these things, what? Turn back to me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes wherewith backsliding Israel committed adultery. I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not. She went and played the harlot also. 
And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. I mean just went wild. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but feignedly, said the Lord. The Lord said to me, the backsliding Israel has justified herself more than treacherous Judah. Verse 12, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, say what? What is that saying? What's he saying? Come back to me. I know you've done everything. That nobody should ever thought of. But come back. Come back. Backsliding Israel says the Lord. And I will not cause my anger to fall on you. For I am merciful says the Lord. And I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge your iniquities that you've transgressed against the Lord your God. And have scattered your ways to strangers under every green tree. And you've not obeyed my voice says the Lord. Turn O backsliding children says the Lord. For I am married to you. Does God take covenant seriously? Well, he had a reason to write his wife off again and again and again. But what does he say? Come back. Oh, God takes covenant so seriously. He said, I'm married to you. I'm married to you. I'm married to you. Oh, hallelujah. Go back to Exodus. Did he have every reason to write them off? But he is God, the faithful God, that keeps covenant and mercy unto them that love him. And unto their seed after them to a thousand generations. How many recognize I'm quoting scripture now? He is God, the faithful God, who keeps Covenant and mercy. Glory to God. Somebody say it out loud. God. God, The faithful God. God, Who keeps covenant. covenant And mercy. mercy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Is he your example? What about you? Can you be like him? Are you a covenant keeper? Not a treacherous covenant breaker. You're a covenant keeper. You take covenant seriously. You don't enter into covenant lightly. And when you do, you're fettered. You're bound. You're locked. That's it. It's covenant. Exodus 32, I want you to see the power of this. Let it get in your spirit. Exodus 32. We walk up. On God and his wife. And they're having trouble. Y'all don't even know how to respond to that. We walk up. And God and his wife are really having trouble. Aren't they? God. Now we're not just talking about a man here now. God. God himself is saying. That's it. Don't even talk to me about her. Moses is trying to. Talk to God and let's, hey, let's stay together. Let's work this out. God says, don't even talk to me. Does he have a right? Yes. yes. Is he justified in how he feels about this? Yes, he is. He said, don't. He said, hey, get out of my way. 
Verse 10, leave me alone. He said, you think I'm mad? This is just getting started here. You leave me alone and uh, that my wrath may wax hot against them. I'm just going to let my wrath go. (laughs) You talk about nuclear (laughs) situations or runaway reactors. Don't even compare to this. God said, you leave me alone. How many know God is always completely in control? He never does anything or says anything or let, you know, by accident or because he got carried away. or He's completely in control. He is deciding this is how it's going to go. I'm going to let my wrath just wax hot. And of course, how many know? When that got through, <laughs> there wouldn't be just greasy spots, right, <laughs> throughout the camp and the golden calf nowhere to be found. He said, just let, let me go. And he said, and I'll take you and start over. You know, I started with Adam and Eve. I'll just start with you. I'll make a better nation. I'll have a better wife. I'll have some money that... Show me some respect. Keep covenant with me. Moses besought the Lord his God. He knew it was serious, man. He knew, he knew man, we, we got no time to play. He said, Lord, why does your wrath wax hot against your people that you brought out of the land of Egypt with your great power and with a mighty hand? You know, you brought them out. And why should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and repent of this evil against your people. Now he's pleading a case, but I don't think he's making much progress right now. I don't. I don't think God, I think the wrath is still going. I think it's still just coming up until this next verse. What did it say? Oh. Hmm? What did he say? What did he say? Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self. When did he do that? When did he do that? When they entered into covenant. He said, you stood up with them and you swore to them. And you said, I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of. I'll give it to your seed. They'll inherit it forever. And immediately, verse 14, what does it say? What does it say? And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. I mean, that was a turning point. Just like that, God said, okay, you're right. We're in covenant. Mm-mm-mm. If this is strong enough for God in dealing with his wayward wife then it's strong enough 
for every husband and every wife. This is revelation. This is truth that makes free. Why are marriages failing by the hundreds of thousands and millions every day? Why are people just divorcing for any and every reason? Because feelings are not enough to hold you together. Sex is not enough to hold you together. Compatibility, fun, the list goes on. You can get to situations where it is not enough to keep you together. There's got to be something else. I said there's got to be something. There's got to be something that's stronger than any feeling. Oh, come on now. The Lord's talking to us. Stronger than any emotion. Than any need. Stronger than any sin or failure. What is it? It's the covenant. I said it's the covenant. Before God. Hallelujah. It's the covenant. God himself was saying, I don't want to stay in this anymore. I don't want to try anymore with you. From the day I brought you out of Israel, you are stiff-necked. You are hard-headed. You don't care about me. You won't listen to me. I'm done with it. Moses, step back. He said, yeah, but God, you brought him out. And I think he's saying, so? I'll make another one. <laughs> God, they'll hear that you brought him out and didn't bring him in. So? People say a lot of stuff. I'm not insecure. I ain't got nothing to prove to the Egyptians. I've already proved something to them. Yeah, but God... You swore with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You entered into covenant with them. I mean, right there. God the Almighty with nuclear wrath. <laughs> Arrest it. I mean, understand, the lights are flashing. Uh, 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 uh. I mean, this is serious. And then the gauges are going, ooh, it's about to be nothing but smoke and dust. But when he says, God, God, you swore, you entered into covenant with Abraham. You walked through the pieces of sacrificial animals. You entered into covenant with him. He's not feeling like he loves them. He does, but he's feeling wrath. That's hard for us to understand, but did I read the Bible or not? Friends, there will be times, because we're human, because we've got flesh, because not everybody controls their flesh like they should. And people have made mistakes, and some grievous mistakes, and some serious. And when the other person breaks covenant, it's a tough thing. For the party keeping covenant. And there can be some times when you do not have feelings. If you're going by feelings, it is over. But there's something stronger than feelings. I said there's something stronger. There's something stronger than sin. Stronger than failures. Stronger than mistakes. 
It's the covenant in the love of God. It's the covenant sealed by the blood of Jesus. It's the covenant. 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 Oh, glory to God. What if every man of God and husband and every woman of God and wife had this before their face every day of their life? What if every time things got rough, they came back to this and maybe like the Lord, they're so mad, they're so upset, they don't even want to be in the same room with this person, they don't want to try, they got no desire to try, they got no feelings, but they got covenant. God's so smart. He did this because he knew we'd have to have something stronger than our feelings, something stronger than sex, something stronger than... You know, good times and money and he, something stronger. And he knew the kids needed something. They needed something that would lock them into safety. Something that would lock them into security. Oh, do you hear this now? The world around us doesn't have a clue. They marry and they divorce and they marry and they divorce. And they talk about the relationship in the third person. Like... It's just over. We don't know. You can't help who you fall in love with. Or when you fall out, if it's gone, it's gone. Nope. The man, the woman that keeps covenant with God and their spouse and their family. That's the man and woman that at the end of their life will have children who love them and respect them. And grandchildren who love them. And respect them. And the church who loves them. And respects them. Oh are you listening? And they'll come to the end of their days. Aged and satisfied. With honor. Oh come on now. With honor. With honor. And their children will inherit that. Honor. And they saw daddy do it. And they saw mama do it. And millions of them will not divorce either. They'll make it through when their feelings are gone and their wrath is high. They'll make it through because they learned there's more to this than feelings. Covenant. Can you say amen? Stand up on your feet, please. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.